Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, one of my counterparts, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. To pip a butterfly. It's a butterfly. To pip a butterfly. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> no, it's going good, man. It's going good. That's good to hear, man. It's going pretty good. And um, we're going to have a, a few album reviews in the first half of this episode. And in the second half, I'm going to have a, a good friend on, Serge Prevere, um, for our Just Mercy review um, for this for the second part of this episode. And um, started off with um, Kendrick Lamar's giving a butterfly review. You know, this album came out in, in 2015, um, his third studio album, and was a follow-up to um, Good Kid, Mad City. And it, it has the elements of being, you know, theatrical, um, chaotic, I- iconic, and mournful um and, and more for all at the same time you know you've got different sounds thrown around with a uh, half a, a jazz band present for all of it um there's pianist uh robert glasper terrace martin and thundercat known as you know just a, a a a bass wizard and this sound gives it you know a fluid loose vibe and you combine it with you know the unpredictable flows from kendrick as he's branching out in songs like for free um you and, and you ain't gotta lie mama said um he's mm. going in so many different directions while you know still bringing up self-imposed challenges and and principles of personal responsibility and in these walls he's showing us you know him at just kind of the lowest points in, in life dealing with the metaphor of of peace and power and real walls being being obstacles and he says quote um these walls want to cry tears these walls happy when i'm here these walls can never hold up every time i come around demolition might crush end quote um but what are your thoughts like looking back on this as just a dense and and, and complex complex album as it's it's right up there probably you know with with Maybe not. I shouldn't even say probably. It's his best album. <laughs> yes, most definitely. It's like number one, number two. You can, you can, you can play with good, uh, you know, good kid, Mad City, and then you can play with actually top three. You can play with DNA a little bit too. Um, but I definitely think it's like yeah. one or two. But I think this album was before his time, I, and I think it was right on time as well, Absolutely. though, because now we have a listening base that has different demographics that can't see the difference between a little baby's well don't get me wrong the song was pretty good but the difference between when Kendrick Lamar mm. did it and when little baby did it the impact yeah, when was baby different did it. it was so different the impact I, I just could feel Kendrick's impact more than I could I'm not saying that little baby didn't have an impact but you could right. just feel like just the weight of it with Kendrick and then I, I saw a couple of posts people like you know Nobody said anything with J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar were talking about these things. And, you know, Joey Badde was talking about these things. But, oh, it was, they said it was, it was said differently. It was a different approach. And I, I thought I was like, hmm, right. Kendrick Lamar did a different approach too. Because he gave you, the, yep. the one thing we preach about when we talk about music is the growth and in, in, in being able to progress in your music. This album showed Kendrick Lamar's awareness. It showed his uh, humility. It showed his anger. It's, it's, it's just being sad about being Black, but also being empowering about being Black. And, you know, within this, this album was super crazy. It was a Black anthem. It really was a Black anthem yeah, album. Absolutely he was. gave us back power in the midst of uh, police brutality and uh, kids getting killed. Trayvon Martin at the time was, I think it was like a little before Trayvon Martin or after Trayvon Martin, um, Brown. It's just like those different places in America. It was right on time, but it was before his time. Just thinking about, they said it was a different approach and a different impact for Little Baby. And that just really put things in perspective how how different people think. Kendrick's never afraid. Kendrick's never afraid to address those topics. No, not at all. 
Not at all. And he's his whole career has been based on that. I, it, was, it was an interview I watched. And he was like, I make music for college kids and people in jail because they got the mm. most time to listen to my music. And I was like, yo, wow. that's crazy. That's crazy. It, it might seem like to some, but to pe- so for people to really listen to what he's talking about, you have to be at a point where you just still... I know college life is busy, but you still have time to just to be still. In jail, yeah. I mean, you, you can't do anything with listen and read and doing things like that. You're not <laughs> having any distractions. That's the biggest thing. So his music, man, this whole album was... It was before his time, but it was right a on masterpiece. time. Yeah, it was a masterpiece. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Kendrick Lamar is just one of the most influential artists of the decade. He's a completely mm-hmm. honest storyteller. And um, just his core sound and values have never been compromised. You know, his influencers and, and um, predecessors like um, most Def, uh, Tupac, and DMX had the record sales that were notable, the Billboard, ch- uh, the, the Billboard chart rankings and critical praise, but but not as embraced uh, as Kendrick ha- has been with being, you know, embracing the mainstream music machine and also the radio. But what what are your thoughts on just kind of like his cultural impact and how he's thrived in the musical climate of this era? Because he's he's really flourished in the era that he's in now. Even though this album, like you said, was before its time, the right. era that he's in now, he's really capitalized on it. And I think his his journey as an artist, he doesn't have to say much anymore because he put it all right. out. In, in the music, and he's backed that with actions with the music. So his impact is so crazy. You know, I saw, I always go back to these posts I see on social media, because I'm always on social media, of course, <laughs> and I see where where's Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> and then, you know, everybody like quick, like, what? Where's Kendrick Lamar? The man's been here since forever, talking about police brutality, <laughs> talking about different injustices in the in the black community, as well as pointing out the uh, weaknesses in the black community that we need to fix. He's been here. He was like to be given the the city of like you know Los like California from uh, I think it was the game mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg, uh, a couple other artists from Cali to give him that. That's no small huge fix. honor. It's huge honor. So the, the 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 track work that he's done in his career, man, it will it will stand a test of time because his impact is so crazy. Because he's not afraid to tell you about his life. He's not afraid to tell you about different things. Like man, I don't know, man. Kid Jamar slept on. I I believe he slept on still because he's a conscious rapper and people don't know how to perceive that, but they can perceive different. I guess it's all in an approach, but still, the message is still clear to me. And who gives better live Grammy performances than Kendrick? I mean, every time he's on the Grammys, he's going to give you a show. I mean, show. any live performance, but his live performances are like crazy. I mean, he had had one with with, with the Imagine Dragons. You know, Dave, Dave Chappelle came out. Uh, Rumble, young <laughs> right. man, Rumble. Like it's just it, it, it's just it's just so crazy when he, when he's a uh, in a live performance. Is there anything about his live performance that you feel as though? He even takes it just another level because you hear his, his tracks, but when he when he brings it to life in, in a live stage like the Grammys or the VMAs, it's just mind bending how, how how people are just so enthralled with his performances because they're just so elite. It's all about the energy, and like yeah, you're like genuine, the genuine nature of who you are. People can feel that. People can feel that in the words yeah. you say on the music. People can feel that in person. They can feel that that aura about you. So when he does his, those, I wish I was in like in the building when he does these live performances because yes. if I can feel 
it through the TV screen or the laptop or anything, I definitely can't even imagine how you feel when you're there. Exactly. (laughs) Because he's true to this. He's genuine. He gives you his all. He's so transparent. I I love him as a a person and an artist. He's he's not a person that's going to, he doesn't really like the limelight, but he's not afraid to say what needs to be said that's necessary not to avoid the the limelight, if that makes sense. But man, I just wish I was in those like in those moments in the, in that building, especially the one he did. Uh, it was really cool when he did one with Erica Badu. It wasn't like political, but oh, yeah. I just both of those energies together on stage. I just I would just feel like that was just going to be like a shaking, oh, yeah. shaky man warrior, shaky warrior. <laughs> shaky warrior. Shaky warrior. No sleeping in the streets. Shaky warrior. Yeah, definitely. I mean, th- those live performances are just on, on another level. And introducing to to, to Drake's uh, Thank Me Later review, uh, a, a decade later, you know, this album was inspired by, by rap and R&B in an equal manner, um, where Drake really delivered on his debut album. And he comes in with the sound... Um, just unlike any other rap star before him, as we've mentioned before, and you know he, he's betting on himself, and we know him at now as, as obviously the, the the top flight um, hit maker, and he's got songs like uh, karaoke where it's you know like more of a heartthrob and immersed in a struggling relationship, as he says, uh, "quote I was only trying to get ahead, I was only trying to get ahead, but the spotlight makes you nervous and you're looking for a purpose." End quote. And then you've got um, so some of the, the slow jams like "Shut It Down" with the dream, and then the smash hit and fancy with uh, Ti and Mary J Blige, and, and then. And light it up with Jay Z. Um, he says, "In quote, um, quote that uh, they always tell me uh, nobody's working as hard as you. And even though I laugh it off, I mean it's probably true. So while I'm my closest friends out partying, I'm just here making all the music for the party too." In quote. But even though so much of a, of, of rap is is kind of like found in struggle, and Drake grew up in a affluent um, Toronto uh, suburb. His his parents split up, you know, when he was three. And there's always an emotional struggle that you can that you can still spot in some of these tracks. But right. what are your thoughts? Thoughts on just the this like the pack A list features he had on this debut um, album um, because like my brother you know Tyler he was talking about our episode that we did with the rankings and he said he he loved the episode but one of the things he was surprised that I left out thank me later and, and looking back at it like mm-hmm. it's it's a crazy Drake album because you you look at just the the features that he has how strong his um his um his his tracks are and when he's just starting off with this debut album. Right. And, and also kind of like, what are your thoughts on looking back at this um, a decade later? You know, I, I'm, it's funny you mentioned that because me and uh, AJ, AKA Anthony Bro, uh, we did yeah. a mashup with versus uh, Thank Me Later versus, I think I took, um, no, I took uh, Nothing Was The Same. And just looking back mm. from the difference between the two projects, the reason why I didn't put you know, thank me later in my top five because his sound wasn't pure. It wasn't like his natural sound just yet. I think he was still finding it. And those comeback season and so far gone, those those were just similar to thank me later in my mind. Those were good tracks, good music, but it wasn't his like authentic sound. He got to his authentic sound when he did take care. And then nothing was the same was just honing that authentic sound. And then for, from there, it kind of pushed on to be like, okay, that's Drake. You see, like, that's why I didn't have it in my, like my top five, because I didn't feel like that was his authentic sound. It was good songs like fireworks, uh, show me a good time. Uh, miss me, uh, find your love. Like it's a crazy project. It really is. But I don't think it was his authentic sound. But 
the project in itself, yeah. if you look through it, I felt like it had so many like interludes, but not interludes on this track. Oh, yeah. It was just it was a it was a vibe type of album. But I think it was good for him to to hone those sounds and realize, okay, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. Because if you realize, like, his interludes change from Take Care to Thank Me Later. Like, they're totally different. Like, I think uh, yeah. Kendrick Lamar's interludes was super weird, but it was necessary for Take Care. <laughs> Can we, I, I want to talk about that a little later, man. That interlude used to, like, yeah. throw me off. I'm yeah. like, hot box. <laughs> Box, I'm an addict. Damn a lot. <laughs> what can you not? Come on, bro. What's um, going on, Kendrick? Kendrick, what's going on? <laughs> um, but no, I man, this uh, that's that's interesting. Tyler said that because um, I don't know. I just don't think "Thank Me Later" is a is top five Drake. Uh, I just don't I mean, think so. when he said that, I was like, you know, it it, it it absolutely was a great album, but I had if you're reading this, it's too late. Replace it. And for me, like, yeah. as we were saying um, on that episode, like, that's peak confidence, Drake. Um, yes. there, there, are, there are tracks on there. You go back and look at it. Those are anthems. And you can still, like, sing them sing them today. And nobody's going to look at you a certain way because it still flows so well. Right. And, and I agree. Because you look at Fancy, Shut It Down, uh, Best I Ever Had, uh, Light It Up. Light It Up was cold-blooded a little bit. Like, you look at those songs... But they don't stand even remotely close to uh, six men, uh, ten bands. Uh, when mm-hmm. I pull up on it, like it doesn't stand. Like Legend. you know what I'm saying? Doing wrong, uh, real her. Yeah. That's that's authentic Drake right there, bro. It that's, doesn't. That's that's peak Drake. That's Drake. Drake. This project, this album yeah. was like it's the starting stone. It's the beginning stages. It, yeah. Yeah, and I do think he progressed through comeback season to So Far Gone to him having a debut album. I really think it was a, a great body of work, but not his best work. It was, you know, the like you said, it was the beginning stages. Because my favorite song on this project, and you're probably going to think I'm crazy, is The Resistance. Uh-oh. The Resistance. I don't I know what, what is it. I love the Yesterday, when we were, you know, you friend? were invited. Uh, it just gave that like vulnerability, like just, oh man, that's so dope. Fireworks is like number two on my list because I like. Uh, it's a Alicia special Keys. intro with Alicia Keys. Yeah, yeah. And it really like sets the tone of what you're going to hear. Like, because I mean, Drake always been like surgical with his intros and his outros. So, like, I, I won't take this project to, you know, be any different. But I really think it set the tone for what you're going to about to hear. It's going to be a vibe. And he's going to be talking about love. And he's going to throw throw some uh, energy, energy, industry stuff in there as well. But no, nah, it was a good project. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, transitioning to uh, Mahalia's uh, Love and Compromise um, review, you know, this was her second album, but it, it, it was also pushed as kind of like her standout album. And she's been signed since 13 and uh, a singer-songwriter from, from uh, Leicester and had early support from Ed Sheeran putting out a two, 2016 debut project in, in Diary of Me. And it had ball, um, balladry and soul. Um, Love and Compromise gives, you know, an eclectic take on British soul pop. There's just so much emotional content that's um, given. And she has um, a mellowness that's breezy and just um, strong themes for, for 2019. And she's got a, a Caribbean heritage that um, coincides with dance hall and one of the most popular tracks on this project, along with 
being one of the best she's got it is simmer uh with with burner boy and it's it's a really organic song and one you can just play repetitively um another really good track was regular people with um hamza and lucky dave and yeah, that was good this this song has like a yeah it has a theme of humility and and, and inclusivity that that's meant to be inspirational and there's a story behind the track um Mahalia in an interview talked about a young girl who made a, a comment to her while um, sitting on her tour, tour bus and asked her whether she was famous or just a normal person like her. And Mahalia in the song um, says, quote, I don't see nothing wrong with being regular people. Say right here where we belong with, with the regular people. We don't have to sing that song just to feel like we're equal. No, we don't have to roll that way, play that game. No, we're just being regular people. And, and that was the, 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 you know, also the interaction she had with that younger girl, like thinking like, if this young girl's asking me, am I a regular person? Um, I want to give off the vibe in this album that we can all be regular people. But what were your thoughts on Mahalia's second album and just the different sound she incorporated uh, in this project? You know, I'm going to be completely honest. I love her EPs more than anything. And then mm. I thought the single Grateful, very, very grateful. I thought that was going to make it on the album, but it didn't. I, I don't know why. I think that was one of our best yeah, songs ever. Surprise. But I love Seasons EP. Oh my gosh! The first song I've heard about um, from Mah- uh, Mahalia is "No Pressure." I was like, "Yo, who is who is this girl? Who is she?" Like crazy. her voice is crazy, but I really thought it was a good project. My favorite song. I'm surprised you didn't say it, "Good Company." I don't know what about the what about oh, yeah, the song good company. that I really really like oh, so yeah. much. Good Company. I'm just like, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm glad you're here, but don't think you like anything else is gonna happen. Like, I just like want to chill. I just want to vibe, and I I get that. That's like yeah. in a time I love her transparency and about love because I think she did an interview and she was like the the interview interviewer said, why do you always talk about love? She was like, I'm like 22, dude. Like, love is like my biggest thing right <laughs> it's now. <important>. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll talk. Yeah, I'll talk about something when I get older, but love, like love is like what I am and who I am right now. So that's what I'm going to talk about my music. And I love that. I was like, yes. Talk your talk, girl. Talk your talk. But yeah. no, I mean- Talk that talk. <laughs> it wasn't a bad project. Yeah, right. It wasn't a bad project. I just, I don't know. I fall in love with her intimate, uh, shorter albums. And I feel like she had to like okay. put songs on there that really didn't fit. And I feel like when she does EPs, she's more open to not putting songs on there that doesn't fit. And for example, I don't know, like, I don't like Karma. And I don't like He's Mine. I don't like those two songs. Like, I don't think they were made an EP. Wow. If I, like, I don't know. Well, what in just, particular do you not like about Karma? I don't know. It just didn't. It's not the flow. It was like, it flows well with the, the album, but I just, it didn't like stick out to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like those songs you mentioned, like Simmer, uh, Good Company is, I think, feel like that's her best song on this album. I don't know. But uh, Regular People, those songs, like, after I'm done listening to them, I'm like, yo, let's, okay, forget everything else. Let's go back. Let's, because if I know if a song is really good and I'm listening to the entire album, I'll double back twice. Or, yeah. well, let me, let me give you like that my was process. The, Simmer was the first, was the first um, song that I heard from this project, um, I was listening to it with, with Tyler once, and he played that, and I was like, yo, is that on our album? And he was like, yeah, that, that's one of her best songs on the track. I mean, that's one that you just have to go back and, and listen to, because like you said, it's one of the top three songs on this project. Most definitely. And I think I say that song first. I say Good Company first. Um, I say Regular People, and I think I say Hide Out. I like Hide Out. I like that as an intro song. Those are that's, first songs. That's a strong intro. Yes. 
Those are the four songs I uh, I don't like add the entire album just yet. I'll add the best songs. And then I'll feed off those four songs. I was like, well, maybe some other songs on the album are really, really good. Unless you like Drake, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, and some other artists. But like you're an artist I know I don't listen to all the time. I'm not going to put your whole album on there. I'll make you work for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make you your work album, for your, it. Your, your album has to be special. <laughs> to get the entire thing on there. It has to be special from beginning to end. Like Janae's, like I, her yes. whole album's are on there. Hands down. Like, I'm Janae Aiko, oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I thought it was a good project. I just felt a couple of songs she never made the cut. And I'm pretty sure it was other songs that didn't make the cut, but those, like, two in particular, uh, Karma, He's Mine, wasn't, like, my my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and she had uh, just a, a lot of highlights in this album from, um, uh, you know, what she did with the collaboration with, with um, LMA, Square One, and even the intros. We were talking about Hideout, um, which was a, a very strong opener. Um, but you know, we, we were talking about this like a, a maybe about a month ago with Georgia Smith and just what we're looking forward to see from uh, from her development in, in her career. Um, but with with, with Mahalia, like, what in particular do you want to see more of from her in her career, or just kind of like some elements do you think she can continue to grow in as you know she's she's just starting off like really strong? That's tough. That's really tough. Oh man, that's really tough. And I, I mean, it can, also be, it can also be a continuation. It can also, it can also be a continuation of what you're seeing, like what you see from her that you kind of want to continue to see. Continue, continue to talk about love, and I'm I'm biased because I love hearing music about love and anything different concepts and different melodies about love. If you can find a different angle on love, like I'm I'm going to be you know glued in. But I feel like mm-hmm. as an artist, she's already solid. She doesn't need to work on anything. She's already solid. Like she yeah. grew her fan base from like, you know, I feel like um she started growing at like 17. Now she's like, you know, a household name. Cause everybody's like, yo, do you do you do you know her? Do you know her? I'm like, yeah, I've been on yeah. since 2017. What up? You're late, bro. <laughs> I've been on. <laughs> I'm on her, bro. So like, yeah, I, I love her music. And I feel like she's she's solid. She's a solid singer, uh, performer. I've seen a couple of her videos, maybe because you always can be better in your performances. So I haven't like seen her in mm-hmm. person or seen like longer video. I just seen snippets on her, her IG, but um, probably like you know become a better performer because everybody can improve in that. But her music, her singing, her melodies, her concepts are solid. I don't think anything should be changed with her. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back for our movie review. Welcome back to the show. We're getting into our Just Mercy review, and we're joined by a special guest, Serge Prevere, um, a current college classmate of mine. And man, we've been talking about this one for a while, but thanks for being on, bro. Hey, it is a pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And to get into the overview for uh, Just Mercy, um, Just Mercy is a 2019 American legal drama film directed by uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, starring Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Rob Morgan, Tim Blake, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, um, Rafe Spall, um, Kieran Kendrick, and Brie Larson. It's about the true story of Walter McMillan, who with the help of Brian Stevenson, a young defense attorney um, who appeals his murder conviction. And it's also based on the memoir of the same name written by um, Stevenson. Um, it had a budget of $25 million brought in 54.4 um, uh, million in the box office and had an 83% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Jamie Foxx also received a, a, a nomination for Outstanding Performance by a male actor in a supporting role at the 26th Screen Actors uh, Guild Awards. 
And just how the film dramatized real life injustice with solid performances, um, a consistent direction from Desk and Daniel Cretton, and there was just so much urgency tied to the storyline. To the storyline, um, Serge, what were your initial thoughts of the film as it personalized the struggle against the injustice in the chronicles of one activist lawyer? So uh, when I when I watched the movie, honestly, um, I, I would say that there was a lot of uh, of seriousness um, dealing with not only the injustices at their time, but it got me to reflect on you know, what's happening today. And right. I mean, I would say that we have gone a long way um, in comparison to what happened back then. But I, I was just surprised. You know, I, I was baffled by mm-hmm. not only seeing what was being done to these individuals and what was being done to uh, Johnny D. Um, but you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's crazy because um, this actually happened. You know, um, yeah. that a man was incarcerated for a crime that he did not commit. There was a lack of evidence. Um, not just that, if anything, it was proven that he was with his family and with his with his community when the crime happened. And still, like, he was incriminated wrongly. And so yeah. it shows this, the, the seriousness and the gravitas of racism, you know, in that day. And even, like, I mean, that stuff still does happen. Um, praise God, not as much as it was before. But it, it does happen. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's kind of like one of the things, you know, we're still ha- seeing it happen today. Um, and it's just one of those films where looking back on what was happening and, and just the injustice and, and the, the lack of um, concrete evidence that was um, placed in this film and the story. Savon, what were your initial thoughts of this film? <sighs> you know, I, I cringe watching most of these movies, the the biggest movie cringe for me was 12 Years a Slave. And then I feel yeah. like this has like the same kind of narrative as well. People, you know, being con- convicted for a crime or doing something or enslaved or something like that. And it's just modern day slavery. And when I watched this film, I had to, you know, be mindful of just the knowledge and what I'm going to see through it throughout this film. So I won't, you know, be... I could be angry, but I, you know, won't hate a certain race or, you know, do the same thing they did to me, just trying to, you know, seek that knowledge. But watching this film, it really, it really took me back. I don't think I could have lived in that era. We still live in like a diluted era, but that era there, oh man, I don't think I could have lived in that. And watching that and watching all those guys on death row and being wrongfully convicted or just somebody doing a, a, a falsely... Uh, a story against them and tr- testifying that they saw him. like the, those little things that they have that much power over people that really yeah. kind of like, yo, something has to change with the police department or, you know, whatever we can do. Like, cause th- th- for them to have that much power, it's crazy. I don't, that, that movie just really just, you know, highlighted that. And I'm like, yo man, I can't watch this much longer. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm going to punch my TV. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and the headlining star is Michael B. Jordan. And, you know, looking at Michael B. Jordan's career, you know, his rise included being a prom- promising young actor to being one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Um, he's, you know, clearly destined for superstardom and, and can give performances that are just stunning. You know, Creed and Black Panther, you know, Savon Creed was one of the first film reviews uh, we did. And, you know, right. those are two of his most memorable roles as Creed mm-hmm. was just a, a star making performance and him being Killmonger and Black Panther as, you know, he enters the conversation for 
is one of the best MCU villains ever as a, as a sympathetic and strong warrior. Um, Fruitvale Station mm-hmm. is another film, you know, you can't forget to mention. Yes. You have to, mm-hmm. to put in there as that was just an incredibly powerful story as that was his first collaboration with Ryan Coogler. Um, you know, to me, Creed is, is still like my favorite performance from him. Um, Black Panther probably being his best, but but Serge, like, um, you, you, we were talking about it a few weeks ago, how you, how you, how you really feel as though Just Mercy is like his best film. Um, would you still kind of say like looking back at just the films that he's had in his past, um, where does this kind of where does this one kind of rank for you um, still today? Yeah, for me, out of all the films I've seen him in, granted I haven't seen all his movies necessarily, but out of the ones I've seen in him specifically, um, I do think this one personally is his best film. I mean, the amount of emotion um, that he that he put in when um, he was interacting with Jamie Foxx's character and these other individuals, but not just that, but but his character. I believe Brian Stevenson, like he is not just a flat character or a static character. I mean, you see the the way that he interacts with individuals, how he feels, the way that he behaves. You see his background, you know, like this is a real person and I really feel for this person. And if anything, I feel like a part of me could actually, um, I, I guess in a way I could see myself in Brian Stevenson, at least um, when uh, Michael B. Jordan uh, portrayed him on screen. And so I do think that um, me personally, this was one of, if not the best um, film that Michael B. Jordan uh, played in. Um, I just, I enjoy films that are well thought out. I enjoy films that um, utilizes not only just cinematography, but put in a lot of effort in regards to acting, um, putting in a lot of effort in regards to the accuracy of the story. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I loved it. And I think it is his best film for me personally. And so, yeah, it was definitely an amazing, amazing performance by him. Um, Savon, looking back at just the performance he's had in the past, um, he's, he's a, a few of the ones that I mentioned in this one. Um, what to you is kind of like the best performance he's had and, and also where does Just Mercy rank um, for you um, in terms of what he's done? I think Fruitvale Station was one of his best performances. I think Just Mercy was up there as well. Mm-hmm. Creed, I feel like for both of those uh, you know, movies, I feel like he didn't have to get in, into character as much. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Because he can go out today and live that just as if it was, wasn't a movie. So it wasn't really particularly a movie to him. It was something that he could experience if he walked outside. Like Jay Farrow experienced that being held at gunpoint because he fit a descript- description or fit the uh, 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 criminal description or whatever. And he had to be face planted into a ground. And he's a you know known comedian, known actor. He's done many things in the community. And to, for him to experience that, Michael B. Jordan can experience that too. Like So I feel like those roles were easier to prepare for because I can experience those. I'm not sheltered from it just because I'm an A-list or B-list person. So I feel like Fruitville Station was definitely his best performance. I feel like he really owned it. Like he was just, it wasn't a movie. It was a literally an everyday life thing. So yeah. for for performance-wise, yeah, I think that that was incredible, especially in the moment when he died, when he played the character, when he died in the station, he got shot mm-hmm. by the police officer. I can feel the emotion. You know, oh, yeah. I ain't gonna lie, like I, you know, I teared up on that moment, bro. Cause it's a tough moment. That could have been, yeah, it was a crazy moment. Yeah, definitely. And transitioning to our to our first topic with this from one to four stars, what would you give it? You know, this was just um an excellent film. It's extremely well acted. 
um, has a clear headed and, and steady nature. Um, showing truth is, you know, the ultimate humanizer. And it's, it's so poignant with themes and hot button topics that, that we're seeing in our nation, you know, right now. And Michael B. Jordan was just um, a great fit to play Brian Stevenson as he was just so persuasive and his patience, um, tenacity and, and, and acuity really coincided with the, the analytical flair. Um, just an A-level film. Um, Serge, to, to you from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, I think I'll give it a four stars. Um, again, they did yeah. a great job, not only in regards to the acting. Um, Jamie Foxx put in a lot of effort in regards to getting the, the accent downright, but I think also that's just yeah. putting his own spin into it. And again, they were pretty accurate to the story. Uh, and so I'll give it four stars. So, Yeah, and, and, and it really did have all those elements. Savon, uh, looking back at it from one to four stars, um, from from your perspective, what would you give it? Most definitely four stars. Yeah. Like Serge said, was was accurate. Um, I love the performances from each uh, each character and actor, especially the family. Uh, I like how they added the the joke at the end to kind of lighten the mood because that's realistic. Um, in a black family, you're not you're not always serious, even when in a serious matter. So she was like, exactly. "I was uh, <laughs> okay, I'm skipping steps. I'm skipping steps. No skipping problem. Steps. Uh, but no, no, no. I, I I give it four stars from it being realistic and accurate, and really giving that depiction of the black family, what we go through, as well as uh, the conviction heart of you know the white Southerners at the time. Yeah, and transitioning to to favorite character, um, you know, for, for me, uh, Walter McMillan, played by Jamie Fox, you know, um, this character is is obviously at the center of the storyline with being wrongfully convicted, and it's just a hero when it comes to highlighting the importance of you know, fighting um, for the truth and keeping hope. And there's just so much grace and empathy that is still brought by Jamie Foxx to this role. Um, Serge, to you, who was kind of your favorite actor in this film? Favorite character, um, I mean. My favorite actor. Okay, my favorite character. Um, so I would say it, it's kind of difficult for me because like Mike B. Jordan did a great job yeah. uh, playing uh, Brian Stevenson. But I feel like I really want to give it to... Um, the character Herbert, Herbert Richardson. I mean, just seeing, yo, yo, um, yo. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But just seeing just the amount of emotion. Yeah. The distraughtness that this, uh, this man was going through. I mean, just imagine like you fought for your country and then, you know, you, you did something wrong and you wind up, on death row and they're going to kill you. You're going to die, you know, and you can't do anything about it. And just seeing the pain, not only the pain that he knows that he's going to die, but also the pain of like what he experienced in war. And it's still affecting him to this day, you know, not to this day, but in the movie, it was still affecting him throughout the movie. And so like this, this character for me, like it hit me the hardest, you know, just seeing him. And so I would say he's probably my favorite character. Close would be like Brian Stevenson. But yeah, I think uh, Herbert mm-hmm. would be my favorite character. Yeah, and, and Savon, you were, you were just talking about how, how that was uh, uh, kind of the one you, you had in mind too. Like what in particular, um, as Serge was saying, uh, to add on to it about his like performance just kind of like st- stick with you the most? He, man, great minds thinking like his performance was so heavy but seen as light. And I, I say that because if you really look at who he really was, he's a splitting image of the guy. I looked the guy up. 
whoever casted him did a great job. He looked just like him from head to toe, mannerisms, all that stuff. So his performance, I I like the way he was the balance of the three between O'Shea and Jamie and those guys in that cell. He was kind of like the middleman. He balanced everybody out. He knew what he did was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And he he didn't want to put the bomb there, but I feel like his performance was so like you it went didn't go unnoticed because he had the stutter right, he had like the way he moved, the way he looked, the way he just interacted with everybody. You knew something was wrong with him. Like I just I just love the performance because he was a supporting 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 actor. He was he wasn't even the main character, but I feel like it's them highlighting him for that stint. Because a lot of people probably are like, oh, we're not going to highlight him. We're not going to highlight the relationship he had with, you know. But I, I'm glad they did. He kind of like, you know, gave that balance between the, the relationship with the three guys. Transitioning to most memorable scenes in our co-host, uh, Savon Morris, um, had to leave uh, real quick. And, and me and Serge are going to close it out. But um, some of the scenes that I had uh, were starting off with the first trip to death row. And, you know, that's the opening of the film with Brian Stevenson uh, delivering news to a death row inmate. Um, and tells the inmate he won't be executed that year and he's uh, relieved. And, you know, they have a friendly conversation until the inmate is unnecessarily and violently dragged away by guards. And that moment, you know, just sparks something um, within Brian and he realizes who he needs to fight for. Um, Also visiting Walter's family um, and Brian visits them to really convince Walter that um, he's there to help. And you see all of uh, Walter's family, friend and neighbors um, are still standing by him all these years later, despite being ignored by authorities. Um, Another scene visualizing the trees, and that's where Herbert Richardson, played by Rob Rob Morgan, um, a war veteran suffering from PTSD who was on death row for um, planting a bomb in his neighbor's house and killing them. Um, He's consumed with guilt, and, you know, the night before his execution, he has a panic attack, and Walter claims him by um, having him visualizing trees in the forest. And, you know, this is also, also Walter's method for escaping the prison walls in his mind. Um, and and the, to me, like the most emotional scene of the, the movie, you know, the tribute to Herb as, you know, Brian's unable to prevent Herb's, her, Herbert's execution and Herbert's scared but dignified as um, he says goodbye to his friends and is led down to the waiting room, meets with Brian in praise and, you know, in the cells above, his prisoner friends bang their cups and dishes on the cell bars. Um, Herb hearing hearing that just lets him remember that he's not alone in, the, in his final moments and it's just a, a powerful moment of humanity also, Myers' testimony, where Walter's case relied on the testimony of career criminal Walter Myers, who was um, coerced for law enforcement to make the false accusation of the death penalty. And then for a new trial, Brian brings Myers to the stand to question that testimony again. And he later steps in to ask him point, um, point blank if he lied. And Myers ends up doing the right thing and admits his original testimony was false. Um, and then the final one, I have justice as Brian makes his final argument for dismissal of all charges against Walter. And maintains this case is not just about one man being rightfully set free, but also an example that justice is something that is awarded to all people. Um, but overall, Serge, like looking at just the most memorable scenes of this movie, like, like which one or maybe like a couple ones that kind of like stand out to you the most? So the couple that I would choose would be, um, so when Brian, Brian Stevenson was being um, pretty much, he, he goes into, uh, I don't know what they call the precinct, where he's going to see uh, those who are being incarcerated. And the police officer asked him to pretty much strip down. Um, mm-hmm. That's one yeah. of the scenes that really stuck out to me. Um, Brian Stevenson um, told the police officer, hey, this is not a quota for um, a lawyer, but 
nonetheless police officer didn't care. He says, you're not going to see anybody unless you strip down. And so that scene was very demeaning. It was very degrading for Brian Stevenson. Um, I felt his pain. And and not just that, I can't remember the last word the police officer said said to him, but I think the police officer said uh, to spread, you know, to spread his, you know, you know what? And the, the police officer was joking. But when he said that, that really bothered me because like, he treated the lawyer as if he's a criminal. Mm-hmm. And so that was one scene that stuck out to me. Another yeah. scene that stuck out to me um, was actually a, a quite similar scene. When Brian Stevenson was driving his vehicle, he got he gets stopped by um, police officers. And they're being aggressive towards him. Um, they searched through his car and messed up all of his, uh, you know, all this information. Um, and not only does it resemble, you know, what, an altercation of the cops looks like today, but the very fact that this man, he, he's a lawyer. I mean, this is a person of, you know, you think of some high regard. He's being treated like, like a criminal. And then um, I think the yeah. most iconic scene, no doubt would have to be uh, the death of um, Herbert. And again, it's a, it's a tough situation. It's a difficult situation. Did he kill, um, if I if I remember um, that that woman, yes, he did, um, but he was right. not in the right head. Now again, that doesn't justify um, his actions, but in in a way, I, I sympathize with the man. You have a man who literally he fought um, for his country. He was a veteran, and he was a last survivor of his platoon, and he's struggling with PTSD, and yeah. he lives in an age where people don't care. And not just that, but the very fact that you you would think that people would give him like an ounce of sympathy, um, even though they may not portray it in the movie because, you know, there's a lot of variables involved in regards to you know his interactions in real life. The very fact that yeah. uh, he's put on death row and he's actually he's struggling with his PTSD. It's a very sad thing. And so I sympathize for him. And. What's really yeah. interesting was um, one of the police officers that struck him down. Um, you can actually see a change of heart. Um, if I if I'm getting it right, I think that was the same police officer that asked uh, Brian Stevenson to strip down. And so that was a really interesting scene where when the police officer was strapping him down, you see in his face that he feels as if like there's something wrong here. And then of course when um, Herbert died, um, the moment that you know, he was shocked by electricity and he shook and the the room full of individuals watching him, they also shook. That was an intense moment. You know, I felt emotion within me. I felt pain within me. Uh, not just that. I replayed it countless times, you know, seeing the 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 um, the reactions of each individual that was there to watch um, Herbert's execution. And so for me, that was the most iconic scene. Definitely. Transitioning to, to most memorable quotes, um, I, I had had a few with, um, first of all, John McMillan, quote, it's, it's not just that, it feels like they put us on death row too, end quote. Um, Brian, uh, quote, I know what it's like to be in the shadows, that's why I'm doing this, end quote. Um, Herb, you, you're the only one who cared enough to fight for me, end quote. Brian, quote, um, I personally believe it's never too late for justice. Um, Eva, when your family is hurting, you're hurting. Um, another one from Brian, we can't change the world, only ideas, we need conviction in our hearts. Um, just out of the quotes, because there were so many that were like kind of like gripping and um, really memorable. Um, which one was kind of like the top quote or 
um, that that really kind of signified what this movie was? I would say uh, Brian Stevenson's speech um, near the end of the movie. And the reason why I say that is because he summarized what justice is supposed to be. And not just that, but I mean, again, you see his purpose for defending this specific individual, for defending, um, you know, Johnny D or, or Walter McMillan. You have an individual who is incarcerated right. for a crime they did not commit it. But not just that, his people, his community knows this. They know he was innocent, but they can't do anything about it. Yeah. And so the very fact that Brian Stevenson was willing to sacrifice not only his time and his efforts, but also possibly his freedom and his life. Um, he summarized his purpose of doing so in that speech, and he did a wonderful job. And so I think that speech would probably be uh, one of the you know, the greatest quotes that, uh, in the movie. And so, yeah, absolutely. Interesting to um, favorite part about the storyline um, to me, just how it highlighted the justice system and bias and how um, bigotry interfere. Um, it was just a very strong merging of elements and, and delivered, um, as we've talked about j- just over the, the course um, of this episode, a powerful uh, legal, legal drama. Um, but to you, in terms of the storyline, what was kind of like your favorite part about it or the thing that you felt like just was really highlighted well about this particular storyline? I would say, one, the very fact that, um, you know, I, I forget the specific uh, organization Brian Stevenson was working under. But the very fact that not only was Johnny D or Walt McMillan, not only was he exonerated, mm-hmm. um, but through the work of Brian Stevenson and his co-worker, I believe her name was Eva Ansley, they were also able to yeah. exonerate, I think, hundreds of other um, individuals who were wrongly incriminated. And so that aspect mm-hmm. I thought was very wonderful because you see these individuals, they care about these people and you see their heart that... They want to to right the wrongs that was done to men who were prosecuted for a crime they never committed. And they mm. they, they went to work. They went to work and they were able to help, I, I, if I remember, I think over 100 individuals. Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, to, and transitioning to our last topic, um, you know, for every movie review that we do, we ask our last question, you know, 10 years from now, is it still watchable and intriguing? This is one of the earliest movie reviews we've done um, with it being, um, uh, you know, it came out in 2019 and it's just so poignant, so relevant, and and especially what we're seeing um, today and just all of the social injustice that's going on, the the, the killings, the the police brutality that's infused in our society. Um, Like to to you, 10 years from now, this is, you know, still, uh, do do you still feel like it's going to have the same impact that even it does have today? I'll say most definitely, uh, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, what am I to say? Yeah. It it deals with a with a difficult issue, a difficult topic, and again, when it comes to issues of racism, it affects everybody, um, mm-hmm. either positively or negatively. And so, this is something that we've been dealing with not only ever since the foundation of this nation, um, but it's something that we've been dealing with as mankind as early as can be. And we see aspects of racism in the Bible. Um, you know, there's hostility between Jews and Gentiles and the Samaritans. And, and we see um, an, an issue of, uh, of racial prejudice, especially in the book of Galatians, 
you know, um, when Peter, he would depart from the Gentile believers because he was in fear of what the Jews would think and Paul rebuked him. And so racism has always been um, a, a touchy, a touchy subject. But I do believe that this movie um, is still relevant, even it will still be relevant even in a few years from now, because it deals with this particular issue. Absolutely. And, and and before we close it out, you know, we were talking about Michael B. Jordan in the beginning, another major star, Jamie Foxx, um, just a supreme inter- entertainer of our era, you know, was won the Oscar for Ray. You know, he was a quarterback in any given Sunday, has, um, was also in, in collateral with, with, with Tom Cruise, um, you know, has had so many, you know, amazing films, um, you know, a stand-up comedian, um, just in so many different things. Like to you, um, like it, it is in terms of what he's done and also just the fact how he's able, he was able to um, play a relevant role in this film being just a, such a high, you know, um, A-list actor. Uh, just kind of what are your thoughts on, on what he's done in his career and also just how he was just able to, to deliver a powerful role? Yeah. So Jimmy Fox as, as a person, I mean, he's a talented man. I mean, he can act, he can sing. Yeah. Um, I remember watching some of his uh, comedy skits where he just has a piano and he would just sing random songs mm-hmm. like Brady Bunch. <laughs> um, he'll make his own songs. And he, yeah. he's a gifted man. I mean, I remember the Jamie Foxx show, you know, just, yeah. just all that. And he, he really did a good job with this movie. I mean, he, he, he did an amazing job. Not only uh, did he look like uh, Walter McMillan, <laughs> if you actually see the side-by-side comparison. Oh, yeah, definitely. But down to the accents, you know, the Southern accents, you know. Nailed uh, it. The mannerisms. There's a scene where Michael B. Jordan's character, um, he, he's talking to uh, Walter McMillan. And, you know, Michael B. Jordan, he's making all these statements like, you know, I'm going to try to, my best to help you out. And literally, like, you see the frustration in uh, Walter's face and he like smacks the table and you see, you just mm-hmm. feel the intensity of that moment, all that frustration bottled up. And he's like, look, you're not going to help me, man. <laughs> nah. you know, these people, they don't, they don't, <laughs> they really don't care. yeah. He's like, it's you're not, not going to work me. out. And so, yeah, Jamie Foxx did a great job in this role and uh, yeah, gifted man. I'll tell you that gifted man. Absolutely. Well, sir, it, is, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much for being on this on this movie review. Um, this is, you know, as I was saying earlier, it's been in, in the works for a while and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure, man. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Swanson Burns. This has been Full Scope. See you later.